0: I wrestle with this word all week and I was wrestling with a question that I felt God was prompting in me of a scripture that I read in Daniel 11 and uh, that question was and is what does it mean to really know God? What does it mean to really know God? In Daniel 11 verse 32, the Bible says that the people who know their God shall be strong and shall carry out great exploits. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Now I just want to pray for the word because this is going to, Uh, It's going to encourage you, but it's going to challenge you, as the Word of God always should. So, Lord, I just thank you that the speaking forth, the preaching of your Word never returns void. I thank you, Father God, that your Holy Spirit waters and matures the seed that is sown today in our hearts and that we respond not just uh, with our minds, with our intellects, not just with our hearts, but our spirit man would be built up in this and that it would, as a consequence, provoke a change of attitude in us so that we can step into what you have for us so that we can be strong, so that we can carry out these great exploits that you have set aside and prepared for your church in this hour. In Jesus' name. And so I want to start off by sharing with you that when Daniel wrote this, he wrote these words and was prophesying of a time when it would be very difficult to honour a covenant with God. And there was at least one fulfilment of this prophecy in 165 BC when a Syrian leader named Antiochus Epiphanes killed thousands of Jews and desecrated the temple prompting what became known as the Maccabean Revolt. Who's ex-Catholic in the house today? How many of you guys have read one and two Maccabees? A couple of you. Okay, those two books are part of the Apocrypha. In other words, they're included in the Catholic canon of Scripture, but not the Protestant one. I read first and second Maccabees this week, just to get the historical perspective and what I learned was that the Jews at that time who revolted against this terrible man who actually set up an abomination of desolation in the temple in Jerusalem, how incredibly strong they were and how great the exploits were that they were led into by God at that time. And so, when Daniel said, The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits, this was one of the fulfillments of that word. The second one I would suggest to you is the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Um, you'd have to get into all the prophecy around this, but that's not the main thrust of my message today. The main thrust of my message today is what do these words that he prophesied mean to us because all scripture is suitable for edification, right? For building us up, for correcting us, for equipping us, for helping us to know the Lord better so that we can be strong and do great exploits. Amen? So... uh to summarize what Daniel received in his prophecy, he saw that, in a very difficult time, in a time of great persecution, God would raise up a people who would know him, who would be strong and who would carry out great exploits and When I looked up the word "strong" in daniel eleven thirty two I saw this series of concepts to fasten upon to seize, to be strong, obviously courageous to be obstinate in a good way to bind to restrain to conquer to aid to amend to cleave to be constant to be established to fortify to be mighty to seize to lay hold of, to become mighty to prevail to be urgent and to withstand i want to be all of those things in the face of opposition against the word of the Lord I want to be strong, I want to be courageous I want to do great exploits for God Not in my strength but in His Amen Daniel's prophecy is just as much for us As it was for anyone of his day Or in any other time in history The people who know their God Shall be strong And will do and carry out great exploits And Today in a time of of increasing turmoil around the world amidst great uncertainty about the future, God is constantly working on each one of us. He is constantly working within each one of us and he is wanting and desiring to work through each one of us. But if we don't understand the process, we won't necessarily see the process through. Sometimes we go through something and we think it's an attack of the enemy and we've lost the fight when it's actually God that drew us into the situation. His process is a fire within that sustains you even as you walk through the fires of life. And sometimes those fires are fires that God leads us into. They're not just always an attack of the enemy. And what that fire must produce in us is an eternal perspective. The heart of this message is about having an eternal perspective because if you have an eternal perspective, then you'll have the right perspective on your material life, your life in the now, your finite passage of years upon the face of this earth. Our problem sometimes is that we try to mould our understanding of who God is and what he does to what we would prefer to experience. Am I talking to anybody this morning? We try to mould our understanding of who God is and what he does to what we would prefer to experience rather than what he knows is best. Not just best for us but for his his greater purpose even though it might seem painful to us at the time. Have you ever been through a painful experience And at the end of it, you've been able to turn around and look back and say, thank you for taking me into that and thank you for taking me through that. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me a number of times. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah. And what it does, some of the things that you are going through you won't understand the full nature of until you step into eternity but it is god's purpose that your life be a testimony to those around you and those who will follow after you that's why it's so important to have a multi-generational church That's why young people in our church should be able to look up to older members of our congregation and see eternal perspective and maturity in how they respond to God's call to them, how they behave towards others around them, the grace with which they minister to others. The grace that is extended to others, even though they seem to be uh, abrasive towards you, that you constantly extend grace, there is a maturity of attitude that needs to come on the church in this hour. Young ones need to be raised up with an eternal perspective that understands that unlike the culture around us, it's not about us individually, it's about him and his purpose and what he wants to do through us. We are just vessels. You know, sometimes I feel like when I'm preparing to preach, I've lost count of the number of times i said to God, God, give me a nice word. Give me a nice word. You know, so everybody likes me. Oh, wasn't that a fantastic message by passage? pastor? It was so good today. Oh. Instead of people going home and feeling cut to the heart. And going, God, you, you got more to do in me. I know it. He's spoken it. I don't like it. But okay, I'll submit. <laughs> That's what we want. <laughs> but, you know, in this season, we do not need milk anymore. We need meat. <clears throat> meat. <laughs> 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 yeah. we'll get back to that stage. Uh, here's, uh, here's a solid truth for you. Here's some, here's some steak for you. <laughs> I learnt just as much about God and his transforming power and ways from walking through difficulties as I ever had through experiencing him pour out blessing on my life. Yeah. I've learnt more through my mistakes and my trials than I learnt through the blessing and favour of God. Unfortunately, there's this thing about you can, you can do it God's way or you can do it the hard way. God's way is easier because all it requires is a, an establishing of a heart attitude of total surrender. As impossible as that sounds, that's easier than doing it your way. I've learned. I've learned. I've learned the difficult ways, and you know, I had. I'm going to give an example. Don't worry, honey. <laughs> Don't worry. I know you're waiting for the testimony. There's no testimony without a test. You got to have the test, and you got to, then you got the testimony. <laughs> you know. Uh, A reminder popped up on my phone this morning and it's there to remind me that sometime in the last 30 days, because I don't know the exact date, I wish I'd written it down, sometime uh, in the last 30 days, 25 years ago probably today, I gave my life to Jesus for real. I finally turned my back on my sinful ways and I said, God, I've done it my way and I've totally screwed up my entire life. And so, I don't think you can do anything with me, but if you can, here I am. Here I am. And so, I spent 21 years running away from God, and I've now spent 25 years with God. And I can tell you, in all truth, that my worst day following Jesus was better than my best day following the world. That's my testimony. I want to tell you about, uh, about something, a, a little testimony of mine that, that God has used to teach me some eternal perspective. And uh, God, after I got saved, God miraculously gave me this business. And, and part of this business that, uh, that He built up was promoting these clients um, through their websites and uh, releasing their uh, stock exchange releases um, for public view and things like that. And I had this client, and at the time they were uh, listed in the top 20, uh, That they were listed within the top 20 ASX listed companies in Australia, and they had a market capitalization of close to a billion dollars. This was a very, very big company. And uh, they were, I, I shouldn't name them, so I won't, Um, But at the time, uh, this was a gold mining company, an international gold mining company. They had operations all over the world. And one of the images that I used to promote this particular company was an image of a gold pour. I don't know if you've ever seen a gold pour where they've got this big thing that kind of tips over and the the gold is poured down through a series of steps and then it forms an ingot in the final mould. And so that image of a gold pour... Was what was used to promote this company, and uh, the reason that I mentioned that you'll, you'll understand the reason of the reason for in a minute. So I had had this this company as a client for quite a number of years, and they brought in a huge pr- proportion of my business's income. And one morning uh, at eleven o'clock, they had an ASX release that was going and out going out, and I was about to publish it to their website, and I got a uh, phone call from the managing director, and he said, oh, John, I'm just calling up to let you know that we've given your business to somebody else as of today. As of today. Like now. <laughs> right? So in that one second, I went from having a certain percentage of my company's income coming in from this one client... After years with no warning whatsoever, they made a snap decision, we're going to give all this business to this other company, they're going to look after it. Uh, the legalities of it, but it doesn't matter. I just knew in that moment that, that like, my heart sank because I knew what our financial position was. I knew how we relied on this and all the rest of it. So I went home and I told Kerry about it and, uh, and I was like, I, 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 I couldn't see what God was trying to do. Right Now this is the sort of test that you don't welcome, right? Who's ever had a job that they enjoyed and you lost it? (laughs) A number of you. How many of you have been through trials of perseverance where you didn't quite understand what God was doing? (laughs) All the time. Who said all the time? Was that you, Renee? You know why it's all the time for you? <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for this prophetic word. You know why it's all the time for you, Renee? Because he's doing a quick work in you. And he is going to use you for his glory beyond anything that you could imagine. And the very fact that you submit to the fire that's, that you have been exposed to is such a mark of the humility that you carry that God can entrust great glory to be poured out through. Take that word, Renee, because he's going to do something amazing through you. And it's not just through you, but it's also through your prophetic husband to be. And I just see, David, that the prophetic gifting upon your life is now being brought into a maturity of expression that will speak into realms far beyond where it has been received thus far. Hallelujah. Back to the gold mine. So I'm like, God, what's going on here? Why has this happened? I don't understand. I thought you were going to prosper me. You know, the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. That's the word you gave me for my business. All those things, right? And then the next morning, I'm up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm seeking the Lord. Actually, I'm having a whinge more than seeking the Lord. (laughs) And I get a message, on messenger from a friend of mine who's a prophet. And uh, he says, in the message, he said, um, I believe God is showing me that you are suffering the loss of a relationship, but God is saying to you that it had to go so that he can take you into what's next. And then he sent me a picture to go with his prophetic word and that picture was not didn't just look like but was the image I used to promote that gold mining company. I was like... And he had no idea what he was sending me. Come on, ask the question. What was God's purpose? Thank you. (laughs) God's purpose was to teach me to trust him to prosper me and not trust him the things that he had given me. And so um, that's happened to me a number of times. And just as suddenly as he took that blessing away, there have been others that he just gave me just gave me i don't even know how we ended up in the house that we live in i don't know how (laughs) just god just blessed me and blessed me and blessed me but constantly along the way he would release the fire of god into my circumstances so i would know it's got nothing to do with me See, when we try to avoid the test or we choose to ignore the deeper work that God is doing in us, we miss out on the fullness of knowing him because, see, he knows the end from the beginning. He is the lamb slain from before the beginning of the world. You need to get your heads around that before. Our concept of time was even spoken into existence. God was there, knowing we would run from Him and asking His Son, Will you go and be a sacrifice for them? Oh, and when they receive the sacrifice by faith, I'm going to bless them outrageously and I'm going to lead them in paths everlasting. I'm going to build up their spirit so that it's stronger than their soul. I'm going to take them from one level of glory to the next and whatever level of glory they get to on the day that they pass into eternity, they're going to look just like you. Will you go die for them? Praise God. Praise God for his eternal mercy see that's eternal perspective he took up his cross for us and suffered and he knows how to bring us through our tests and trials because none of the tests and trials we will ever go through could begin to measure up to what he went through see it is immature to cherry pick the Christian experience and focus only on the promises of God around peace, prosperity and grace while glossing over some of the more difficult passages of scripture that point to the deeper work God wants to do in each one of us. And none of us is excused from that. You can cherry pick scripture till the cows come home, you're going to go through some stuff. The Western Church has turned cherry-picking Scripture into an art form. (laughs) And so we are poorly positioned and unprepared for the trials that lie ahead. I see trials ahead. I have a great sense of foreboding about what the next 20 or 25 years holds in the West. We lack eternal perspective to handle the trials that are coming our way and yet in the midst of those trials, great glory is going to be poured out on us, within us and through us. See, God's blessing, his healing, his forgiveness, his restoration, his provision, his prosperity are all themes that run deeply through scripture but so are persecution, so are suffering, so are lack, so are betrayal and even martyrdom. Victorious living through blessing and trials demonstrates our eternal perspective. Can you walk in victory through the trial that you're going through now? Yes, yes, yes. I see examples. I've only, I've only got to, 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 to look across and, and be aware of some of the trials that you're going through. And on. It, it, There's there's people who I see the trial comes and they don't just bear up under it, they embrace it for what God wants to do through the trial. That's eternal perspective, that's maturity. And when we dive deep into scripture, we see something that runs throughout both of the major covenants that God uses to teach us eternal perspective, teaches us to dive deeper into our relationship with him so that we can become unshakable in our faith, so that we know him, so that we are strong and so we can do great exploits. And that concept is the fire of God. It is powerful, it is unquenchable, it is refining, it is purifying, it is all-consuming and it is holy. When we stand before God with all that we have done throughout all our lives, laid out before him, the Bible says that each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, that's the day of the Lord, because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And in the verse just before that, he describes what our works might be founded on. They might be founded on gold, silver, precious stones and they're good but they may also be founded on wood, hay or straw. What happens to those three things? When fire hits it, they are consumed, they disappear, they are no more, they go up in smoke. I do not want the works that God calls me to to be burned up by the fire of God on his day when everything will be revealed and everything will be exposed. Whatever the call of God might be on your life, there will be fire. (laughs) It is promised and it's prophesied over all of us. I want to take us through a, a few incidents in here in Scripture from the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And we're going to talk about fire in the context of Covenant. And so we're going to start with Moses and in Exodus 3, Moses has just spent 40 years out the backside of nowhere herding sheep after killing an Egyptian and fleeing the consequences and he is now a long way from Pharaoh's palace in which he was raised. How the mighty have fallen. He is this man raised to be a prince of Egypt. He has a heart for his people, but he has no idea how to express it. He takes the law into his own hands. He kills an Egyptian overseer, goes on the run for 40 years, and he thinks he is done. And then he has this encounter. Exodus 3, verse 1 says Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father in law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb is the same as Mount Sinai and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush so he looked and behold the bush was burning with fire but the bush was not consumed then Moses said I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn I would suggest to you that each one of us would do the same if I was to be walking down the street and I saw a bush that was on fire with perpetual fire, but yet the bush itself is not consumed. I would want to know what is going on. This is the moment. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. That's the correct response when you hear God speaking to you. Here I am. it infers that you're there to do whatever God wants here I am this is the moment when God begins the process of drawing his people into covenant relationship with him and for us it is symbolic of God drawing us aside to hear him and enter into what he has for us no one comes to Jesus except the father draw him right So it's the fire of God expressed to us that draws us to God and someone, uh, the burning bush is symbolic of what we will become for those of you that will receive this and you're going to see how this plays out in the New Testament. Don't worry, I'm not getting heretical on you. The burning bush is symbolic of what we will become, someone full of God's fire, perpetually burning and yet not consumed with his presence within Later on, the fire is there in the pillar of fire that led his people by day. The pillar of fire was over them, leading them, guiding them. And then that fire became more personal as God made covenant with them. So the same fire that appeared in glory over Mount Sinai as the people quaked at the foot of the mountain was actually the fire that was releasing covenant into their midst in the tabernacle. And so when the people of God built the tabernacle of Moses as part of their covenant relationship with God, I want you to see what happened when the tabernacle was consecrated, when it was commissioned into, uh, into being the place of worship. In Leviticus 9, 23 to 24, The Bible says that Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Correct response again. (laughs) There was something about the supernatural nature of this fire that provoked the holy reverence, awe and fear in the people of God gathered in the presence of of this glory that was poured out when the blessing was released. This is holy fire, the fire of his glory and it produces awe and reverence and holy fear and worship. And here we have to see something about the nature of this fire is that it was to be treated with reverence. It was to be treated uh, respectfully. It was to be treated as, uh, as the very presence of God. It was not to be mishandled. It was not to be misused. It was not to be twisted. It was not to be profaned in any way. And it's only a little while later in the book of Leviticus that we see what happens when somebody does the wrong thing around the presence of God expressed as fire. In Leviticus 10 verse 1, this is the sons of Aaron. Aaron's the great high priest of Israel, right? Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered Profane fire before the Lord. They put fire in it. They put their own fire in it. They weren't using the holy fire of the Lord. And offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Fire came out from his presence and killed those who were treating his presence disrespectfully. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke saying by those who come near me i must be regarded as holy and before all the people i must be glorified Now, i want you to just stop there for a minute these are the first and second born sons of aaron the high priest of israel these are his uh his progeny the, the people that are going to inherit what he has these are the blessing of god the sons of his youth that, that were going to carry on the work that he had begun, these are the, his, his pride and joy, these are his precious sons, and they 've made a mistake with the presence of God, and God has struck them dead. Imagine the heartbreak within him. imagine the mix of emotions that 's going through him. and Moses turns to Aaron, probably with those two men they 're dead. And says, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy and before all the people I must be glorified. What's Aaron's response? So Aaron held his peace. That's eternal perspective. That's maturity. That's understanding who God is and his holiness. This holy perpetual fire was a hallmark of God's chosen people. It signified his presence. It wasn't just there in the tabernacle of Moses when David's son Solomon built the temple, the fire came again. In 2 Chronicles 7, 1-3, to Says that when Solomon had finished praying, this is the dedication of the magnificent temple, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good for his mercy endures forever. The fire of God was a promise to his people throughout the Old Covenant and in the Old Covenant it had a specific setting in which it would be manifested and that setting was the temple or the tabernacle of God, the place that hosted his presence. Is that right? The fire of God would be there perpetually. A fire shall burn on the altar, it shall never go out. But this is not just an Old Testament phenomenon. We're not going to Old Covenant here. We're going into the New. The promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in the New. Promises of the New Testament are fulfilled in you. There is something for you in what's being preached this morning. This holy fire is right there at the birth of the church. It had been absent from Israel for 400 years. The fire of God, absent. It wasn't there in the Holy of Holies, in that magnificent temple that fitted 50,000 people in the outer courts. The presence of God was not there. The Shekinah glory was not there. The fire of God was not there. And then Matthew, the great, uh, sorry, the, John the Baptist, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, turns up preaching in the wilderness, and this is what he says. I indeed baptise you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He promises us, God promises us that at the birth of the church that's coming up, when Jesus comes, that there would be the fire of God restored to his people. And we see it fulfilled in Acts 2, verse 1. I'm reading through all this scripture, but I promise you that there is a journey, that there is a way that we are winding through this that's going to take us to a place of revelation. In Acts 2, 1, Before they had the fire without, in other words, outside. They had the fire in a designated place in the Old Covenant. Only the priests, specifically anointed for the task, could go anywhere near that holy fire. And now, on a gathering of 120 people in Jerusalem, all of a sudden, the fire of God is restored to his people, but now those, those, uh, those tongues of flame are upon every single person gathered in his presence. And so the fire without becomes the fire within. The fire outside becomes the fire inside. See, It's prophesied in the Old Testament. It's fulfilled in the New Testament that God does not dwell in a temple made with hands. He dwells in us. In the Old Testament, the fire of God was present. It was with them. In the New Testament, the fire of God is indwelling. It is in us and it has a work to do. That prophetic, this is the fulfillment of the prophetic picture of the burning bush, right? And the burning bush was there as a sign to, the, to somebody walking past, here's something I need to check out. And as a result of him coming aside, he's drawn into relationship with God. In the new, in the new covenant, the fire within each one of us is meant to burn so fiercely that it attracts those who don't know him to see what is this phenomenon. Why is this person so on fire? Why is this person walking in maturity? Why does this person have an eternal perspective while, and have joy upon their life even while the world seems to be going to hell around us? We become the burning bush that burns miraculously yet is not consumed. We are filled with holy fire for the purposes of God and we need that holy fire. Let me paraphrase the first year of the church, the ecclesia, When Pentecost happens and those tongues of flame appear on each one, the Holy Spirit fills them and lights them up with fire. They pour out into the streets. Revival breaks out, thousands are saved, healings occurring everywhere, miracles, signs and wonders, new believers are added daily to the ecclesia. But within the first year of this gathering of the new Uh, Ekklesia the, the, the temple of God within the first year Peter and John are arrested persecution starts Ananias and Sapphira drop dead when they lie to the Holy Spirit holy fear hits the church believers are thrown in prison Stephen is martyred Saul is hunting down believers to get them killed and the church begins to scatter with Philip leading a revival in Samaria that's all in the first 12 months of God releasing fire back to his people What makes us think that we won't go through something similar? See, all of that that I just read was part and parcel of the fulfilment of Scripture, all in one year. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to me in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They didn't end up in Samaria until persecution came when Philip had to leave Jerusalem. And when he was forced out of his comfort zone, I would suggest to you, God used him in a mighty way. The Ecclesia, that early church, they understood eternal perspective. They knew the fire of God within; it is what sustained them, even as they went through their trials by fire. And so I was looking at these examples from Scripture, and I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at the the world around us today and the state of the church in this era. And I've been on the planet 61 years, (laughs) for better or for worse, 61 years. And in those 61 years, our entire world has been turned upside down. This is just my perspective on what I've seen in my 60-something years on the face of the earth. The culture that we live in now is completely different to the culture that I grew up in. Completely and totally different we live in a society that is more deeply and deeply divided every single day. The strength of our culture, which was always its uh, Judeo-Christian foundations, is being systematically dismantled and cast aside and in its place is being uh, imposed upon everybody a form of secular humanism that elevates man to the status of God. And for us, we are now moving closer and closer and closer to a time when the things that we have taken for granted, like the ability to gather in a building like this on a Sunday morning, the things that we've been taken for granted are starting to be challenged. There is a man who preached in this church eight years ago who was locked up last Monday for having a church service in Melbourne. Now, whether you believe uh, that was an appropriate response to his defying of the orders not to gather, I found myself thinking, what would Peter have done? What would John have done? When I preached last week, I talked about them in the midst of all those people who had the ability to inflict punishment and death on them. And their response to persecution was, well, you figure out for yourself whether it is better to obey God than to obey man, but we're going to obey God. (laughs) And so I wanted to draw this, uh, this message to a close by simply quoting a little bit of scripture that demonstrates the eternal perspective of two of the greatest leaders of that first ecclesia. And the first one I'm going to talk about is Peter and I want you to see something from First Peter 4 verses 12 to 14. And he says this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. When we go through trials, we think it's a strange thing. Right? We start rebuking the devil till our rebuke is worn out. <laughs> we start standing against this and taking authority over that. Whereas a mature, eternal perspective. Says, God, what is it that you're doing in this? Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Are you rejoicing? Yes. <laughs> Are we rejoicing? <laughs> oh. I'm not here to uh, buffet your flesh, but to buffet it. (laughs) Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. So what does the fiery trial produce? It produces the eternal perspective that Peter is trying to teach those that are coming after him. He's speaking to us here today. And he's saying what you're going through, it's not some weird exception to how God works. It's part and parcel of God's eternal purpose for all the people on the face of the earth throughout eternity. You have a part to play. You're going to have to go through some stuff to get to where you're going, but get there you will. So that's Peter. And I meditated on that and I can't think of the last time. Honestly, I'm just being... uh, Open, vulnerable, and honest. I can't think of the last time I stepped into a fiery trial and started rejoicing over it. Perhaps you're more mature than I. <laughs> we're constantly thinking, how do I get out of this? Whereas the attitude of these guys was just give us boldness so we can just keep going the way we're going even though we're being opposed. <laughs> There's Peter and then I think about Paul and how he was there looking after the robes while the people had brought Stephen to be stoned and there's young Saul, Paul's Saul as he was called then Um, and they're giving him the robes to hang on to and he's probably sitting there going, I see a bit of his pride that hasn't been hit yet. He's a bit of sandstone. Chuck that at him. He's fully approving of what is being done of somebody who's martyred. And yet just a short time later, he's on the road to Damascus to do some more persecuting. I've got to get about the work of God today. I've got to persecute some believers. I've got to persecute some Christians. And he's there on that road to Damascus and the glory of God appears to him and God speaks to him and says, why are you persecuting me? Strikes him blind, sends him off to Damascus, raises up a believer named Ananias to go and pray for him and he says to Ananias, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my sake and for the gospel. And so Paul's list of what he suffered for the gospel is um, amazing but his perspective on his trials is even more amazing. Let me read you uh, this from 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We walk by faith, not by sight. Somehow we have to come to that point of maturity and eternal perspective when our circumstances have less volume in our heads than the truth of God's word. Let me paraphrase paraphrase 2 Corinthians 11 for you. In 2 Corinthians 11, he's, uh, he's defending his ministry in the face of opposition and he does so by talking about the things that he's gone through. I'm going to paraphrase it because we've probably read the scripture a number of times and sometimes a different way of hearing it does something for us. So this is my paraphrase of what he went through. When he was exhausted from his work, this is Paul, when he had been whipped, when he'd been thrown in prison, when he had seen death all around him, when he had been beaten, when he had been stoned outside a city by religious leaders, when he had been shipwrecked, when he was on long, arduous journeys through bad lands teeming with robbers, when he was betrayed by those he served, when he was hungry, when he was thirsty, naked, cold, unable to sleep, yet his heart was toward God because his purpose was clear in what God had called him to and he refused to allow any of these things to distract or move him. He had eternal perspective. It is from this eternal perspective that he viewed not just his suffering but his accomplishments. And it was his fervent desire that we gained that eternal perspective that is so liberating. It's that perspective that brings us to the point where we can say, another quote from Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul didn't get all of that perspective just from that one encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. That encounter was like Moses at the burning bush. The Moses that led uh, the people of Israel through all that wilderness to the border of their promised land, by the time he got to the end of his journey, it's not the same man that started out. God did a work along the way. And Paul's perspective that he says, I have been crucified with Christ Uh, it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me he gained that eternal perspective not just from his encounter but from what he walked through subsequent to that encounter to bring him to maturity such maturity that a lot of the new testament that we draw our inspiration our, our, our reason for going on our 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 um our inspiration to draw closer to God, so much of that was entrusted to this man because he suffered for the sake of the gospel so that we could be enriched and encouraged by his example and by his testimony and his testimony came from his tests. Is that right? I see in Peter and Paul people who knew their God, They were strong and they did great exploits. But they didn't get there by accident. They got there on purpose. God's purpose and their willingness to submit to his purpose in their life, no matter what they went through. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Paul knew his God. Paul was strong. Paul did great exploits. Peter knew his God. Peter was strong. Peter did great exploits. Hannah, your purpose is to know God, to be strong and to do great exploits for the kingdom. That's your purpose. You're going to walk through some stuff, but that's okay. Our purpose, part of our purpose, is to get around you when you go through that stuff so that you're encouraged and you are encouraged by the examples of those with greater maturity than you. From the beginning of 2020, around the beginning of 2020, a huge shift has come to the entire world that we live in. There's not a person on the face of the earth that has not been affected by what has happened up to this point, that is not going to be affected by things that are happening now and in the immediate future. And there are much bigger forces in play that we're not quite aware of yet, but this is uh, it's like a season drawing to an end and a new season being birthed. And God's purpose in this new season is that his ecclesia come to maturity like we see demonstrated in the word of God so that we can minister out of his glory to a world that is broken. I have never seen the world so broken as it is now. And so I, I believe that, uh, you know, we, we're. I've been preaching this for 12 months in one way or another, preaching the fire of God, preaching the refining that God is putting the church through, preaching repentance, preaching holiness, preaching a desire to, to, to draw as close to God as we can get without the fire of God absolutely burning us to a crisp and taking us into eternity. Uh God is looking for a response from us that reaches beyond our... Amen, Pastor John. John. He's looking for a response that reaches into our everyday life and into our everyday trials. Sometimes... The great exploits God has in mind for you are as simple as standing firm when everything around you is telling you to run. Sometimes the great exploits are being sent to a foreign culture far away and preaching the gospel and seeing thousands come to Christ. Sometimes the great exploits are to serve in the capacity that God has called you no matter how big or how small it might seem to those around you because God's perspective on what you do for him is different demands. God's looking at obedience not looking at some imagined sphere of influence. He's looking at our simple obedience to do what he's called us to do. I'm going to give all of us an opportunity to respond to this this morning. And before I um, before I step into a general sort of an altar call, I have some words of knowledge. Uh, people I believe here in the meeting right now the first one is for somebody uh, you are in uh, what the Lord showed me was an agony of indecision you have this really important decision to make and it is agonizing for you because you can't make up your mind which way to go and God wants to resolve it for you this morning in his presence The second one is there's somebody here, um, maybe we can monitor the live stream in case it's somebody online, somebody here and you're having recurring chest pains and God wants to heal those chest pains. There's also somebody here and you have uh, an irrational fear. You have a fear that comes against you and you know that the fear makes no sense, but you are still afraid when it comes against you and it seems like you are defenceless against this fear. God is saying that's a stronghold and he wants to break it off you this morning. There's somebody else. Um, I believe you have a twisted muscle somewhere in your midsection or stomach area that causes you pain at unexpected times and God wants to heal that. Now, if you'd like to respond to any of those, can you just stand if you're here in the meeting right now? (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.